Welcome back, guys. It's another episode of the 100X Dudes podcast with Joshua Badu and Jeremiah Tia, your pastoral performance coaches, your weekly dose of how to 100X your life. How are you guys doing today, Jeremiah? I'm really excited to talk to today's uh, podcast guest. I am so stoked and I can't wait to pass the time to him in a short while too. Thank you for that. I know it may be in a while. In our last episode, we actually missed Jeremiah, unfortunately. He wasn't here. However, we were able to go ahead uh, with Jordan Hetty. But today we have another very special guest, um, a very special man that I had the privilege of meeting uh, late 2021, gave me the uh, gracious amount of time just sharing his moments with me and beginning to network and to uh, find spaces on how we can help contribute to God's work. Uh, Chi Sang Fa, he is a senior pastor at Clayton Church of Christ Fellowship. He is the state director at Reventure Program and also is newly studying his doctorate of ministry in workplace theology and ethical leadership at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. And most and importantly, he is a father of two as well. Chi, how you doing? Hi, well, thanks guys for having me. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Chi, I know that, uh, you know, today may have been a busy day. Like you said before, you were just kind of rushing over, threw on the headset, jumped on here, and here we go. Um, but one of the last times me and you spoke, uh, you let me know that you're looking forward to your long service leave. And I wanted to yeah. kind of just start off something light. How was that long service leave? How was it to finally get away from all the work? And how's it feel being back again now? <laughs> well, it was great to have a long service leave. I actually got married in November. Uh, yeah. Congratulations. So congratulations. So that was the big thing. And then uh, it was good to have two and a half months uh, just to be able to resettle the new family. Uh, spend time with the kids, but also just to take a break and step back from, you know, being a pastor of my church. I've been there for like 32 years, you know, uh, and on staff for quite a while. Uh, and so it was good. It was good to be able to actually, I think it's probably the longest time I've sat on the sideline. Really? Uh, ever since being on staff. Uh, yeah. And that was an interesting perspective. Yeah. I imagine it would have been now. I do apologize if there may be a bit of lag in the recording because uh, I know it was like thunderstorm raining in Sydney right now. We have Jeremiah who's in Singapore, Chi's in Sydney somewhere. Who knows what's going on, but it's long distance stuff. So please forgive us if there is any delay. Uh, that being said, I'm sure you would have had a, a good two and a half honeymoon as well. So that would have been a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, now being back again, I just realized you've been in ministry for 30 years. That's longer oh, no, than no, no. i've been in this i've been in the same church for 32 years <laughs> not in ministry i don't look that old do i <laughs> <laughs> well one of the first things i was gonna say I is you look impeccable like 60. <laughs> you, you you look impeccable i'm like if i can look like chi when i'm his oh, age yeah. i'm he's he's doing it all right but even being in church for over 30 years that's longer than i've been born i'm 27 now and whenever i i find people who've been doing something or in something longer than i've been alive I, I just wonder, like, how and what can I learn from that person? You know, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, mind you, that being said, as the older, and I'm only 41, okay? <laughs> but uh, I, I do think we need to start learning downwards too, you know? Because a lot of you guys are just really understanding a lot of spaces that we, we wouldn't be able to grab a hold of, you know? And I think just, yeah, the mutual learning is important. Well, can we, cause I love to allow us just to kind of go wherever the, these, these conversations can go, but I wanted to start there because I think that actually is a very important thing in regards to learning downwards. 
in uh, our, our spaces today and in leadership, you know, you do have leaders who, you know, they are, they've been in the industry or in the game for a long time, as they may say. And you see how technology continues to change. It continues to move and how you can kind of renew yourself with things that maybe you weren't exposed to growing up. Uh, what would you say is one of the biggest things now that you're looking at saying that you're having to kind of relearn or have to learn down about? Yeah, I think um, I'll give you an example as a uh, leader and let's say on a personal front, okay? Yeah. Um, so on a personal front, when I was married to my late wife, she had passed away three years ago through a brain hemorrhage and I got married again. Uh, we were 18 and 19 when we got together. So I never really dated or been on the dating scene. So when I had to start dating again as a widower, you know, older single, I actually uh, spoke to some of my younger leaders who uh, I used to mentor when they were in high school. Uh, and they were older singles, like late 20, young 30s. And I said, like, how do you do it, man? Like, teach me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know how to do it. Like, online dating, app. All that kind of stuff is like, it's all new for me. Would you be willing to actually share a bit about that? Like not to get too uh, personal, but like when you were kind of trying to transition to the dating scene again, like what is it like out there? If you, if you are coming from where you're coming from, is it, do you, was it online? Was it, you know, more in person? Was it just around the workplace? A lot of people are wondering, where do you find the right person? If you are coming out of, you know, maybe a previous marriage or whatnot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was fortunate that I didn't have to go on that scene for too long. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, but I did go online to, to try. I met one or two people. And that was fresh. It's like, you got to do a profile. You got to think about how you come across. <laughs> how do you find someone that you swipe? And then when they don't acknowledge you, then how do you process all that? There's a lot of, it's a bit of a mirror to yourself, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. When you're going on there in this abyss, uh, and you don't know people, like how do you navigate through that? And as an older person, your, your social circles are changing and different. And I had the complexity of being the senior pastor of the church. And so how do I deal with that, with the exposure? What happens if the younger people in my church saw me and I had to work through all that stuff? Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, actually, I actually want your help right now because one oh, of the no. things I like, I, I need to learn up because one of the things that uh, recently, like I've now jumped back onto dating apps. I was very much against it for a long time because I just knew on when you're on those dating apps, it's like it just turns on that material side of your brain sometimes. And I'm like, ah, this isn't the best version of me, the whole swipe, swipe, swipe and just picking and choosing. But recently I was like, okay, you know what? Let me, let, let me give it another go. Uh, but I have had a, I guess, a difficulty thinking about now with my church, I'm being called upon to actually take on a pastoral position um, for our English service. And there is that element of how do you hold, say, a title of pastor while being on these apps, allowing your human side and desire for, say, you know, love and romance to come out while also still upholding and keeping a, a respect for, for God. And I, I find it to be confusing for myself at times. I, how did you navigate that kind of challenge? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I think I, I'm pretty vulnerable because for me, authenticity is really important because the gospel gives us nothing to hide, you know, nothing to prove, nothing to lose, right? 
And so that that saying. So for me, it's more about. Um, so I'm pretty vulnerable. When I started going into the space. That level of privacy, because I'm like I don't need every complexity. And um, but what helped me was when God took me on this journey to go. She just see this as another discipleship moment for you, because we're called to be shepherds of the flock. We're meant to be living examples, right? Not perfect examples. And so part of it is then God, how are you forming me? How does God help me to become Christ-like through this dating process? How does He shape me through this? How does this become a witness? Um, and so once I kind of integrated my perspective to go, this is just a discipleship moment for me, like every other thing in my life, right? And so then I didn't have to feel like I had to performance manage, so to speak, or image manage as much. It was a lot more integrated. So I think that was the, the first thing. And so that changed my mindset to start going, okay, God, what does your word say about dating? How do I understand it? you know, and stuff like that. And I began on this journey and I even preached on it. I can go, I'd be teaching my, my congregation about it because um, I had to help them think I'm shifting from a widower to now a single again, older guy, a single parent, father. Yeah. Jeremiah, what are your thoughts on this? Like, uh, um, I know you're with Esther at the, at the moment. So, you know, I'm sure you're not on these, these dating apps and whatnot, but like, are you seeing even amongst friends and, and whatnot or family like how do you find i guess our generation uh taking on dating apps as say christians i think it is a good um inclination to leverage on what the apps provide because apps are just a tool you know for greater opportunities to meet more people it's not like a, a weapon it can be a help so I think coming back, I love what you were sharing about you no know, discipleship and dating and even be involved in the process or even using that journey or experience to minister to people because nowadays, um, let's say in China or developed countries itself, that um, there are more and more singles that finding her, even though we're more interconnected in the social media, but we are not that um, able to find our life partner somehow. So I love it how even in the journey where she's going through, um, able to use that as a personal journey and also to minister to people who are in the singles. So actually, I'm really curious, right? Uh, when she, you're back in the game, you know, dating, and then um, congratulations, congratulations, you're married uh, last year as well, November. And uh, in that sense, what would you say was the, the one thing that you learned that help you to become a much effective, more effective uh, disciple-making person for your congregation, for your youth, and for your leaders in your church. Yeah, really curious about that. Uh, so in the area of singleness, you mean, or during that period, or just generally about discipleship? Just generally about discipleship and how you're able to minister well with the singles who are struggling in yeah. this area through your own journey. Yeah. So I think one of the things is that, um, okay, so one of the key things I had to learn, and I just give this story as an example, uh, and it's an answer to that question. Uh, for me, my lens is that life is the classroom for disciples. Mm -hmm. And the everyday moments in our life is what God uses to shape us, but he also uses it for mission. And so once I saw life as the classroom for discipleship, 
then I just saw this stage and season of my life, which happens to be an older single, as the very place that God has, is going to use to shape me, uh, but also to be able to use that to be able to empathize with others and administer to them. Okay, so one of the key things I had to wrestle with, because you understand I was 18, 19, when I got together my late wife. So it's one of those stories where, you know, you got together and yeah. friends and you just got married. But then I had to relive this new experience of being like a 38-year-old, 39-year-old, but with two kids. And then like, how do you do this? And mm. meeting people, you're more formed and all that kind of stuff. So that was a very new experience and let alone online. And so what was interesting was, and that was one of the reasons why I want to go online, was one of the great books that I actually read was by Henry Cloud. He's a Christian psychologist and it was titled How to Be a Date Worth Keeping. And that was actually a really fantastic book. I would recommend every Christian single to read that. Um, but it opened the book basically to break this myth that God will bring someone to you. Mm. Uh, and he began this story of how he had a case where it was a late 30-year-old woman who was fantastic, like, you know, eligible, great woman, but couldn't find someone. And he said, I'll be your dating coach for six months, but you're going to do what I say. And he goes, at the end of every month, I want you to give me the list of names and numbers of guys that are dateable. And then at the end of each month, she got zero, zero, zero. And his whole point of that story was to say that we've underestimate uh, that our social interactions are sometimes limited. Mm. And we don't actually go and be proactive. And he then said, the only guy that God is going to bring to you is the FedEx guy. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like that is so true. And then, then I began to realize that in this current day and age, then uh, online and all those other apps are just different mechanisms as a way to socially engage and broaden, which is different from 20 years ago. Yeah, well, one thing that made me decide to get back onto the apps again was I was watching a podcast called the Patrick Bet David podcast, great leader and entrepreneur. Um, and they're bringing up some statistics showing how majority of people now who actually start dating found each other on dating apps. And, you know, if you look at the traditional way, I think the predominant way was through family and friends. And then it was like the workplace. And then maybe it was like at a bar or something. Um, or at hobbies kind of thing. And then at the bottom would be like dating. Now that's flipped, it's inverted. And it had dating apps yeah. as like the main way. It's like 35% or something, like some high number, maybe even more than that, um, if, if I'm wrong in quoting it. And then uh, each one, like family and friends was like in the like either 10s or 20s and then it kept on getting lower, lower and lower. And it made me realize, I was like, okay, if times have changed are changing, I need to be willing to update and renew myself. I need to learn up or learn down whatever it takes and to to flip the script again what I, I i agree with what you said about how you know life is a classroom for ministry and when i went on there i was kind of like a part of me is there trying to find you know the right person and another part of me is also like analyzing what is going on in these dating yes. apps and I was setting my I was setting my preferences and settings to like to Christian, so I can try to find someone who has the same values. Obviously, you got to think smart, right? <laughs> and it's funny how there is a I think a, a gap in Christian dating that I'm not an expert in, but I just I just sense something there 
where it feels like, and I'm talking to friends and all about this as well, we have a, an element of um, assuming that God's going to do all the work and I don't need to... I don't need to do any work in becoming the best version of myself. Yes. Like God's going to drop some perfect human who looks past every flesh and every flaw and every, um, you know, material thing in the world. And they're going to be all spirit, but you don't find someone who's all spirit. There's always a, an element of, you know, the spirit and then also element of flesh. And sometimes I, I, I when I was on these apps, I, what I found was I, I Personally, I believe there's a lot of work that needs to be done in us realizing that, look, we need to have God at the center and character and spirit and fruit needs to be the crux of everything we do. But there also needs to be an element of realizing the world we live in and also saying that if you are going to be trying to find someone, you need to be able to compete, you know, be willing to take care of your body, be willing to say work out, to present yourself well, to have a profile that's appealing so that you, you don't feel like you're either having to choose God or flesh. Um, but not flesh in like the bad sense, but flesh in like the say material superficial sense. But, uh, personally, what I believe is to find that someone who has the core of God, but still has the ability to be appealing in say a material and even though it can sound kind of bad, superficial sense. Yeah. So um, that's, yeah. Like that, that's fed, like, if I could, the three things that I felt, I'm, I'm not an expert. I wasn't in the game for very long. Praise God. <laughs> but, <laughs> And I, I, you know, um, and, but, um, the three things that I would, as a pastor now wearing a hat, mm. like I would say that God taught me was number one, that in the Bible, it says a wife of noble character who can find, and it's through reading and through listening to a whole bunch of stuff. I think the three things that sh has shaped me that I could distinctively remember was number one, we got to do the work to be found. Mm. Like, you you got to do the work to find. And you got to do the work to be found. It doesn't wow. just come to you. And so when I work on me to be Christ-like, I'm working on me to be found, right? But if I have to be proactive to go and find, right? It's not if you're not engaging, you're not front-footed. It, it's not. It doesn't always have to equate to being desperate, you know. Mm. And and oftentimes the vehicle of apps and social media is neutral. It's who we are on it. Is what makes it good or bad mm. and 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 so like i remember i've got hearing aids because when i had my cancer the radiotherapy made me have hearing loss and i remember the first dinner that i went to uh it was to meet a whole bunch of singles and i was mindful i caught myself going should i wear my hearing aids or should i not right and then i remember then that teaching going well if i take it off then i'm not allowing who i am and how God has made me to be, to be found. I'm hiding it. I'm not going to find the kind of person, the godly person that I would want who will be able to engage with that reality, you know? Mm. And so there's this work of finding and being found. The second one was in Proverbs. I was reading this where, I can't remember exactly where, where it talks about wealth can be, of uh, fathers can pass an inheritance to children, but an understanding wife comes from the Lord. Mm. And that's when I realized that, oh, hang on. Just like an inheritance, you can't strive for it. You can't earn it. It gets set aside and given to you. And in the same way, you want to find a wife. This is balance. Be proactive, but be at rest. You're not desperate. Mm. You're not striving. 
there's this proactiveness, but there's this rest that no matter what you do, at the end of the day, you can't determine the outcome. Yeah. It's Christ who gives that person to you. Yeah. And having that posture then makes you a much more whole person in that space. And then I think the third one was, which I realized was a lot of times we go, we need to find someone who matches me. And that's important without a doubt. I've been married before, right? But one of the things that I think is missing in the dating world is a question. I remember I was going for a walk in a park and I was reading Ephesians, you know, about husband, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Yeah. And I realized that I had to flip my question from, does this person match me to going, can I serve this person with my life? And I'm like, mm -hmm. that question is largely missing from a lot of dating conversations. It tends to be, how do you match me? Not how do I serve you? How do I? Yeah. Yeah. So those are the three things. That, yeah. Those three things are potent and kind of like how you see, I guess, in, in like the business market where, or in any area of life where we tend to either leave to one side or the other. And if say one political party is nominated, the next time they swing to the next political party and it's almost like overcorrections. We say, it's all God, it's all me. And it's like, we don't find that right balance. I think when you find the true maturity, like you're talking about that right posture is when you're able to contend with the, with the truth of God's, it's God's in control. If God doesn't make it happen and it's not going to be, it's not going to happen. If God doesn't allow it to happen, it ain't going to happen. God ultimately has a final say. But at the same time, God has empowered you to also put in, put in the work for him to bless your hands. You know, he's giving you the seeds to sow so he can bring, bring the fruit from it. Um, so I, I'm completely with you. Jeremiah, I know you have a question, so I, I feel you you're dying to go. Go ahead. Yes, I am really excited to ask this question about dating. Not much about the behaviors of dating, but more of the ethics of dating. Because many peers I've met, be in Sydney or Singapore, um, they have struggled with dating because it's like, as Christians, it seems like there's a higher mandate or scrutiny upon them, how they should behave, how they should speak or whatsoever, greater expectation somehow. So I do want to ask Chi about uh, two questions first. First one's about not the behaviors, but the ethics of dating. What would you say to the singles? Um, and I'm speaking to like the, the, at least the mid twenties to the mid thirties and more as well. Like how would you, um, what are some ethics would you advise to singles when they go into the dating scene, be on app or in person? Yeah. I'd love to be able to answer that. I wish I had my wife here. She'd be excellent at it. <laughs> She'd be fantastic. But uh, call, a life, call a lifeline. <laughs> yeah, call a lifeline. <laughs> um, but but in the short conversations and experience I had in this area, but um, would be. Well, I had to learn the whole phrase around people ghosting or like oh, people wow. not like all that stuff. Like, I mean, the the premise that I've operated from what you do online, you do in person, right? If you imagine sitting opposite someone and just totally ignoring them, it ain't yeah. gonna work. Like you just don't do that. So, so apply the same, apply the same social rules and social ethics for lack of a better word 
in that space, right? Um, like you can post, it's this line between putting your best photo and <laughs> putting a deceiving photo, right? You know? Mm, yeah. But a lot of that behavior, I know you're not talking about behavior, but it comes from this need of security. It comes with this internal on the inside that drives your behavior. So if you're not whole, you're insecure, then a lot of this other stuff comes out. It's a byproduct, yeah? Um, poor ethics is a byproduct of a uncentered heart on God, right? But if there is a center there, you're, you're the byproduct of that. And that's why in Romans 1, 2, it says, you, you exchange the truth of God for a lie. You exchange the, the, the glory of God for created things, right? And then the outcome of that is all these other behaviors, right? And so I think people have to be, to be in that space, to live ethically, to approach that really fundamentally comes from how centered is God in your security, your identity, the way you see other people, the way you treat other people as the images of God, you know, all that kind of stuff comes into play. Yeah. That's really, really wonderful. I love that, um, that the, it's really our heart, the attitude of our heart would determine the ethics and then behavior. The source of it is our relationship and attitude towards God. And that will lead onto the um, events of uh, happenings with when we go into dating and interact with people. And I, I, I do want to uh, go into uh, you know, the era of ethical discipleship because uh, I remember at the start that uh, as Josh was introducing you, uh, one of the areas of your focus, expertise and research and application as well and sharing is the area of ethical discipleship. So I'm really curious, what exactly is ethical discipleship? And can you share with us and our audience more about the term? Yeah. Well, 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 I only just got into it, so I haven't started it. I ain't no expert in it, <laughs> so I'm going <laughs> to learn what they mean when they say that. It's just really a demon on workplace, so like artificial intelligence and ethics or finance and ethics and stuff like that. So that will be something I'll learn more of, and I'll be able to speak to you about it. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that would be a bit of a, a bit of a tricky thing because um, it might be a bit of a, it's not really a tangent, but just kind of a bit of an add-on. I know that as as Christians, when we say we go into business or go into the workplace, it is very tempting and very easy to conform to workplace culture or secular work, workplace culture, which not that it's all bad. Obviously, even in secular spheres now, you know, you, you hear a lot about self-development and it's about serving, not about yourself. And like even business to stay alive, you need to be willing to serve. Like that principle kind of transcends. Everyone understands that in capitalism, if you don't serve, they're going to go to someone else who does serve. That being said, kind of like the tree of good and evil, there's always the elements of the good and the evil. And there are those practices that are kind of a bit more toxic and maybe predatory. I came from the insurance background where we, we did sales and, you know, it didn't take me, it didn't take long for me to see that there was, there was the good and there was the bad. Um, and I think as Christians, when we walk into this, and I imagine what you may be beginning to learn in your uh, doctorate, Chi, is, yeah, how, how, what, how is it that Christians can stand strong in even trying to re, re transform workplace culture? 
to even have more godly values and to remove some of the injustices. And maybe something that can help lead into that is you being a state director at Reventure. Because I know that the work that they're doing then is in co-working spaces and that it is about bringing fusions of ideas together for the benefit of work and church and, and, and other things. Would you be would you be happy to kind of share with us more about Reventure, what it is that you're doing with them and what it is they're trying to achieve in the mission at that place? Yeah, yeah. So Reventure is just trying to bring um, integration and change by in faith and work, especially in the marketplace. But it seeks to bring a systemic change uh, in the academic through the academic spaces, influencing um, theologians, or, or educators, church leaders, and marketplace leaders. Um, so the role that I'm stepping into is quite a new role. We're kind of pioneering what that looks like in the next phase and the next season. However, going back to what kind of Jeremiah and yourself have alluded to around ethics and stuff like that, and especially in the realms of work, uh, I think that's why it's so important that church pastors help facilitate that growth and understanding of how to integrate our faith into our work, because that's where we spend most of our time. Mm. Uh, and that's where we, we get formed, but that's also where mission happens, right? And so... And to have a much more integrated theology than just let's get you saved theology. Yeah. Yes. Like good insurance is loving your neighbor well. Good doctoring is loving your neighbor well when they're your patient. Good lawyering, right, with justice is loving your neighbor. We sometimes forget that good work represents Christ, right? Because we separate the two. Yeah. And so that's where if you have unethical aspects behind insurance and the products that you give that, look, I'm a product of someone who got life insurance. And imagine if that didn't happen, like that is unloving. That is not redemptive, whereas insurance can be an extremely redemptive mm. like uh, product, for lack of a better word, right? In which God enables people, uses it to enable people to get a leg up to build their life again after tragedy. That's why it's there for. But if it's used at the end of the day just for profit without the, the purpose of loving your neighbor, then that's when everything goes out of kilter. And so the, the, the place of ethics and work and Christians in that space uh, is an attempt to bring part of the glimpse of God's redemption uh, into people's lives. Yeah. Tell me your thoughts on this, Chi. Or even Jeremiah as well. This is open for everyone. Let me not just, this is all of us. Um, when I look at, uh, I guess, non-religious workplace mindsets, um, I find that they, they wrestle with the idea of finite resources that, you know, if I don't get it, it's kind of like a sum zero game. If I don't win, someone else will, and I will lose. So when they have the luxury of everyone winning, they want everyone to win. But when it's me or you, that's in a moment where they may choose themselves. And not everyone's like that, but we do know that it is something that is still a reality. And it's just a reflection of how the world's history has played out. One thing I believe Christians have had the privilege of, the blessing of is, um, you know, like when Christ said, you know, don't worry about what you eat or what you drink. 
are you not more important than the lilies? Are you not more important than the, than the birds? All these things. We know that even if we lose everything, we have that faith that God will protect us. That we don't live by bread alone, which may be business profits, but by the word of God, which is his spirit will sustain us. And I feel like the world doesn't, doesn't have that rock to say, I know that even if, the business falls because business is business. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. God's still going to bring me through. Therefore, they put it into their own hands to try to make it. Um, so here's my question to both of you. How do you see like that mindset changing unless there is a belief that there's a higher power that even if your business isn't successful, you will still continue to move forward. It's bigger than just business. It's bigger than just profits. It's bigger than winning. There's a bigger picture that God is moving and you can surrender to that knowing that um, everything will be all right. Jeremiah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I'll just have a quick one. I think when it comes to Christian faith or even when I'm interacting with entrepreneurs, uh, for Christians as well, it's the mindset of abundance and scarcity, right? Because um, God is the creator of the universe and he's our father. He He creates and owns things. And in today's world, there's always argument of, oh, there's a lack of resources. But actually the main problem is a lack of allocation, proper allocation of resources, be it food, um, be it like clothes, uh, be many important resources. It's not because of lack of it. It's just a poor location of it. If you look at that, that means that there's always the opportunities of proactiveness in reaching out, you know, being through business, through networking, through initiatives to get this allocation right. And I think as Christian, that comes the opportunity for us to step in and say, right, we see this problem and I think we could help because we are meant and called to be good neighbors, not just neighbors, people living beside us, but to our, to people we met, neighboring countries, uh, people that we are able to do life with, helping them, serving them, adding value to them. And I think, I hope I'm answering your question and how do we bring that Christian faith in application to really bring that mindset shift, not that everyone's living in poverty, uh, circumstances even though it can be true say in developed country it can be really hard but there's so many stories where abundant mindset individuals have thrive and bring alongside people to come together as community to serve and to prosper together in a good way so that's where i think it could be in application and implementation but time to you chi yeah what what do you think i'm really excited to hear from you too I love how you guys are ping-ponging between each other, like, you're good, you're good. I'll ping-pong to you. <laughs> um, okay, uh, my, my two cents on that is that um, as Christians, oftentimes we have a lot of ideas, but they're only concepts until it becomes personal. Hmm. A lot of us can quote a lot of Bible stuff, theology, but rubber hits the road when life hits. That's yeah. where it becomes personal. And that's why Matthew says, the wise builder is the one who hears and obeys. It doesn't avoid storms. It helps you to stand through storms. And so whether the storms that come in the form of uh, 
scarcity uh, resource issue or whether an employment issue or whether uh, ethical decision-making at work or whether how do you deal with the culture when everyone's wanting to climb the corporate ladder and how do you do that in terms of self-promotion or servanthood and how do you place yourself in that place? That moment, it's not just an everyday moment. It's actually a disciple-making moment if you allow it to happen, mm. right? And so um, two stories. So one was, uh, I just came from a life at work conference thing and there was a speaker who's high up in the government area. And one of the questions was about how do you as Christians not be non-conformist to the culture around us, especially when it comes to climbing the corporate ladder. And many people were trying to answer it, but this person said, look, at the end of the day, God's in charge of the ladder. Wow. Right? And I'm like, it's true, isn't it? But the way she said it, and she's in a very high position. She goes, I'm tempted to do what everyone else is doing, but I have to remind myself that God is the one who raises leaders and causes them to fall. And so I don't have to fight for it. Yeah. Now, that moment is someone who's moving from theory, who's going, this is personal. This is what it really looks like. And that is forming for her, but also a witness to everyone else around you going, how did you do that? Why do you think like that? That's different, right? Um, and I think it's in those moments, it is forming, but mission at the same time. Uh, but it requires us as Christians to do that real wrestling and allow ourselves to turn an everyday moment into a disciple-making moment. Mm, mm. That, that is really wonderful. And uh, turning every moment that we have into a discipleship moment is uh, really a daily consistency reminder we do into uphold, especially as Christians in the marketplace. And I do want to pose another question as well, because many of the audience listening, they are... Uh, Christian leaders in marketplace, and we talk about discipleship as well in daily life, in workplace, and many other areas. So, um, speaking to them, G, what would be three areas of reminders to these leaders as we are working hard to do greater works to represent Christ in the marketplace? What would you say the three reminders we need to? uphold as we are going on the daily journey of discipleship of living our best life to represent christ in the areas of you know responsibilities yeah um i would say number one do the work to connect the word of god to your everyday life in your specific sphere and field right so do that hard work to join the dots so what do I mean by that? So you're having a workplace conflict. What does the word of God have to say about conflict? Right? Uh, how to resolve it. Uh, what does the word of God say around how to manage people? Like, I believe the word speaks, but you just got to join the dots and be do open. You, do you believe that the word of God can be applied to every aspect of life, whether it's in, whether it's in business, marriage, the most unique business situation, or the most broad, um, you know, say life or even political situation. Do you think they can that the word of God can be used in every aspect of life? I would say yes, but with a clause of the word of God empowered by the Holy Spirit. Mm. And so, for example, I sat in a uh, intensive 
at the Melbourne Business School talking about AI. And, and what was interesting, there's this guy from New York and he was working with the Vatican to come up with ethics around AI. And so what he was saying was basically saying, hey guys, even though AI is a new thing, you've got a lot of these young guns trying to create things and innovate things, but what's their center that's driving a lot of this innovation? Yeah. And he's saying, even as Christians, you got to realize we got history and that has huge value. And so he began to then unpack and said, when the Bible says in the beginning, God created man, he gave us the ability to steward the earth. He gave authority to man. And so therefore, when it comes to the realms of AI and how do you work out, is it this conscience that's responsible and how do you build insurances around that in case, you know, driverless cars and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Where does the line of responsibility start and finish? And he was unpacking and joining the dots with that scripture in Genesis to the line of responsibility when it comes to navigating through artificial intelligence and saying it always has to land with man. Not some other pseudo conscience thing or whatever, mankind. And then he began to build this case saying, look, we got to understand it. And that's just an example that's super unique. But to say that the guy is doing it and he's one of the key voices in that area. And I'm like, we need everyday people doing that more in their everyday sphere, joining the two dots together. Yeah. I have like a few questions from that. I don't even know which one to start with because me and Jeremiah have had discussions in regards to say AI and what is the responsibility of us in the transition of labor being predominantly with humans to potentially leaning heavily with AI. And with that speaker you're, you're referring to, um, how how does what he was saying work out in a practical way was he trying to say that ultimately and maybe he wasn't trying to say this but like was he trying to imply that we shouldn't be putting all our eggs in ai's basket to say that they should be taking over things and that we should still keep it with humans or was he trying to say that to make sure that whenever whatever we are doing with ai that it needs to be serving humans best interests rather than just say a few humans best interests yeah, yeah. So the only thing I can say, because it wasn't trying to specifically address what you've raised, but the context in which we were having the conversation was to encourage Christian leaders to realize that our faith has something to give to that topic mm. and to do the hard work to join the dots together. And then number two, more specifically, I think it's around the more the lines of responsibility and accountability will always have to land with man mm. at some point. But we didn't necessarily go into the specific details of, you know, whatever you've just unpacked. Yeah, no, I understand. That's because it's a deep subject anyway. So yeah. my mind just tries to go to level 100 every time. Um, yeah. One of the key things. Yeah. Oh, yeah, go ahead, Jeremiah. I'll bring in one uh, article I watched like, you know, months ago, just one minute sharing about AI and religion, right? One of the uh, benefit that was being advocated is the facilitation of God's omniscience and omnipotence. Because for example, there are times that humans just can't be there, you know, to pray or to even minister. But what is shown in the BBC video of the relationship of AI and religion is that AI is able to fill in the gap to facilitate greater areas of ministry that humans can't. But then it's kind of like we see the gap between uh, humans' limited ability 
God's perfect omniscience, omnipotence, and in the middle where AI is bridging the gap. So then the argument is that is will AI replace God and or AI is a good helper. And uh, I do want to kind of um, drop one more like bonus, you know, exploratory question to Chi. When you think about AI in terms of like the argument, is it a good helper or is it a dangerous replacement? Uh, what are your thoughts on this? I think it's still going to be developed over time, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what's more important, I think it's, I think it's a very confusing new area it is. that we need to not shy away from, mm -hmm. but to wrestle with it. Because as Christians, if we don't, you're going to be on the back foot. Mm. Totally on the back foot. It's yeah. already here whether you like it or not, right? So we got to do the hard work of not throwing the baby out of the bathwater, mm. right? Recognize what is neutral and what is it that human beings contribute to make it broken, yeah? So um, I, I think, so in light of that, I'm, I'm not really giving you a clear answer whether it's good or bad. I'm just saying there is a range in it, I think. I, I'm not one who goes, that's all bad. But I'm saying that there is a mix of a whole bunch of different layers of things that's associated with that. But we should engage with it and not run away from it. I'll give you an example. The, the metaverse. Okay? Mm -hmm. So people will go, oh, the metaverse, we should stay away from it. Like for me, this is my personal opinion, it's going to be a natural next evolution. True. Yeah. And so you can get caught up with going oh, online, all that, all that kind of stuff, or you can go, you know what, go to the higher level and go wherever people are at and wherever people gather, they need the gospel. Mm. Isn't that more important? Yeah. So it's just that they happen to meet there. And that's new. That's not really real. All those things come to play. But for me, I'm like, well, that's where people are. That's where people meet. It just looks like this. And wherever people are, God wants to be there yes. to minister to them. Yeah. I'll just raise two quick responses before time pass time back to Josh. One quick thing I was reminded. Okay, you don't need to pass it back to me, man. Run with it. Don't worry. <laughs> it's, it's a sermon I remember hearing from John C. Maxwell, 2015. He said, you know, as Christian leaders, often we expect people to come to church, but actually our responsibility is to bring the church to people to be proactive in outreach. And I think, um, you know, echoing what she said, it's not about there's a black and white solution or problem, it's the attitude. It's the attitude, it's a process of uh, wrestling, of really not denying and just be, um, yeah, just like be anti-AI uh, or anti-metaverse. It's just how do we integrate healthily and to use it well as a tool to integrate and to bring the church closer to the people. I think that's where I'm hearing that really the attitude matters the most and not in a way of just saying, oh, it's evil, avoid it, but it's inevitable next stage of human life that we will go into. But yeah, Josh. Wait, can I, can I, oh, sorry, yeah. I'll just speak to that. My way of languaging what you've just shared, Jeremiah, uh, which is great, is that, look, life happens. Whether you're longing for community, relationships, managing with AI, work, whatever. I think the more important question is, 
what difference does Jesus make to it? And so uh, that came, that insight really came from a personal thing. My, my late wife passed away three years ago from a sudden brain hemorrhage, just collapsed in front of me within one day, passed away, terrible. And then that left me with two kids, three and five. And at that time, um, I remember having to go through about seven to 10 funerals. And there were a few suicides. And then I was just sitting there going, everyone's going to go through funerals. It just happened to me quicker. I think the more important question is not whether it happened or it didn't happen. There's more important question is what difference does Jesus make to funerals? Mm. What Jesus does different Jesus make to promotions, to uh, retrenchments? What is difference is to do both the good things, but also the negative things, right? What difference does Christ make to it? And I think if we can answer that question for ourselves and what we're going through, right? Then that is how we represent Christ authentically. Wow. Right? So it's not about whether there's AI or there's apps or there's this or there's that. I think the more important question for me is, well, what difference does Jesus make to it? Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. Um, I think my fear, well, not even a fear, but just my concern. Cause I know like God has an answer for all of these things. Uh, but maybe my own personal conviction is sometimes I think what's holding back the benevolence of these things isn't the technology. It's humans unwillingness to surrender and to do what they know to be right um like to me something that I, I i think about a lot recently is the verse where christ says you know the harvest is great but the workers are few so pray that god will send send more workers you know well why would why would christ say that well clearly there's a lot of opportunity and that opportunity can either be used for good or it could be used for bad so and if there's not enough workers to plow the opportunity that's around us and this might be in the ai field right in the metaverse field the enemy has the ability to come in and pervert things that can be good this leads to war this leads to greed this leads to destruction so in everything we've all said like i i completely agree with both of you my my biggest concern is will we as humans step up to make sure that we do it right because it is it, is a it's high risk, high reward, right? Like how amazing could the reward of getting a AI right be? Phenomenal. But the risk of it is is great as well, which is why everyone's so contentious about the situation. I just hope that humans will step up and do the right thing. That's my biggest hope. Yeah. And that's why you need Christians who can integrate whole of life to be in all those spaces and see that as a calling. As much as a holy calling as it is to be a pastor of a church. Say that. Say that again. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm saying that's why the work we can do is to encourage people to see their vocation as their calling, mm. so that they can be integrated people in those spaces. I went to. I got invited to be part of this younger leaders gathering at Lausanne. Lausanne Younger Leaders Gathering in uh, Indonesia a few years ago. And I remember being there and I was listening to the ex-Brazil uh, environmental minister. 
And she got up and she just shared. She goes, um, it is hypocrisy for Christians to say they love God, the creator, but yet destroy his creation. Mm, I remember you telling like, me that, yeah. <laughs> like, and then she began to develop. So as she goes, people who don't love God take care of creation more than those who claim to love God, the creator. Wow. And then she began to unpack environmental policies that she had developed out of her wrestling with the word of God. Now, I'm not necessarily a massive creation care person or whatever. And that's why that statement convicted me because I'm like, I'm probably one of those people, right? <laughs> yes. But then I'm going, praise God, she's there. Praise mm. God, she's integrating and wrestling and joining the dots with the word of God, with her vocation and seeing that as a holy calling. She may not be able to bring some super radical change and mold the culture because that won't come until Christ comes, but it's a step forward, a signpost forward to, yeah. to the kingdom that is to come. Now, I just think that we need to be as Christian leaders, pastors, to empower people to live their vocational calling in all those spaces. And I think mm -hmm. COVID has really shown that to be prevalent. There's this, uh, it's called church cartoon. And there's this picture where it says, pre-COVID, where is the church? And it shows people in workspaces, on the streets, in the retirement villages and all that. That's where the church is. Post-COVID, where's the church? In all those spaces, right? Mm. Now, I'm not underlying or discounting the need together. I'm a part of a local church. But I'm saying we've got to learn how to shift the end game to not how to build church disciples, but whole of life disciples who can serve the garden and city of God in the wider world. Uh, I think, I know we're coming to the end now. Um, we're going to be having to wrap up soon. But honestly, I'm like a thousand endorsing everything you're saying right now. Because, I, 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 and I feel like the church, as in like the local church, will play such a major role in that. Because out of all the places where people go to say, okay, I'm here to learn about God, I'm here to learn the scripture, we know that this church is the central place. You're going to find people from all walks of life coming to church because that's where they still believe, okay, you come here to learn the word of God. And there's much less and less places now where you can do it. You still can do it. You can do it outside. But we still know that the church is a centralized place. And if we're going to disseminate that truth and that information, and that mindset out into occupations and into different spheres of life so they realize that their work is their calling their work and their vocation is where god wants them to be i believe that the church will play a big part in partnering and allowing themselves to be more involved outside of just the church's uh i guess narrow mindset of like just getting people saved to expanding it to how can we actually serve the world in these different spheres not just um purely in salvation point of view um i know that was a lot i said so hopefully it, it made sense but um I, I just believe the church is gonna play a big role in in expanding that work yeah definitely um in that case then we'll begin to wrap things up uh jeremiah any last things you want to say before we begin to close off just a really great um you know not just brain but spiritual teaser of like really the hunger to just being more uh, proactive and you no, know, I think one thing I learned is really bring discipleship in action in daily life. So just want to thank Chi for giving us a great sharing and that good push. 
to capitalize on daily opportunity to showcase the goodness of Christ in our life. So thank you so much, Chi, for today's sharing. And we hope to have you back. We, I just feel like we're just scratching the surface today. Like, no, yeah, so much we, we, we just scratched well. the surface. We really need like a proper, like probably two hours on some of these podcasts to really get deep into it. <laughs> Uh, Chi, is there any last words you want to share with our audience? Also, if there's any uh, plugs, shameless plugs you want to do for where people can reach you or uh, anything that you're, any projects you're working on that you want to promote, now's your opportunity as well. Uh, I would say, can I just leave one truth last and then I'll, I'll leave one plug, okay? Um, I think as I love what you guys are doing, I love the energy, I love the 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 ambition you know um and the drive to to make a difference um but one thing that i learned when my late wife had passed because i'm pretty ambitious mm. but but um but one thing i realized was um i remember when she had passed and i was like last thing i want to care about and think about is church it's like really and then one day I was really reading Philippians and then it just says, I'd rather die and be with Christ. And I'm going, this guy's crazy. Cause like that's situation. I'm feeling that, that what that implication is because my late wife had just passed, but yeah, he goes, but yet for me to live is Christ. And in that moment, God just integrated everything again for me. He goes, while you're still alive, it means more opportunities to show Christ, to share Christ, and it just brought alignment. But what was interesting for me was that while I talk about calling and we talk about vocational calling, making a difference, Paul has a calling to be an apostle. He has a calling to be a church planter. He's a tent maker, but now he's in prison. Mm. And then you go, how do I represent Christ there? How do I change the world for Jesus? that was never his ambition his ambition is go everything is just christ and so if it means i'm in prison and i show christ in prison my work is done if i've got promotion and i show christ there if i'm a single parent and i show christ there i'm struggling with illness and i'm struggling with it for 10 years and at the end of the day you die but all you did was just show christ will that be enough for us Mm. but yet he's saying it is because for me to live it's not ambition not changing the world it's simply christ and i think once god has these kind of people he can place them anywhere in every situation for his purpose for his glory uh and that's the kind of people i believe god wants us wants to build through his church yeah Amen. So that's my last thing yeah only plug is claim church christ <laughs> uh, our church and uh yeah um you can come check us out online if you like yeah and 100x 100x amen well guys you heard it here first from ching seng fa on the 100x dudes podcast um and in closing remember if you truly want to change your life change the lives of those around you this is the 100x dudes podcast thanks for listening take care and be awesome guys bye bye